Welcome everyone to the Ken Hill Podcast. I'm Ken Hill. My goal with the podcast is to share the techniques and habits of what the best motorcycle riders in the world do to thrive and survive in a sport that has consequences. Using my 20 plus years of riding and training at the highest levels, I wanna make these techniques and habits accessible to every rider in the world. The podcast structure is deliberate. I don't have sponsors. The duration relative to many other podcasts is short, making it simple to listen multiple times, and I only release a new podcast when I feel I have something to share. I'm not cranking out podcasts because my sponsors say I need to. You listeners are my sponsors, and I appreciate the donations, which can be made via the podcast page on my website, khcoaching.com. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to the Ken Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hill, and this is podcast number 86. This podcast has probably been the, the most requested and is, is probably also the one that I've avoided uh, the most. Uh, why? Uh, well, there's, there's lots of reasons. So let's, let, me, let, me, um, let me get you a little bit into the backstory. And yes, I've had a lot of people that have asked about this uh, topic, uh, which is, you know, in, in this case, it's going to be Suspension 101. And when I originally thought about doing this podcast, I thought, well, you know what? I think the way to do this is I'm just going to, I'm going to uh, interview some suspension tuners and, you know, get their take on this. And yes, I've, I already have done a podcast on, on suspension with the Olean's guys. And that was a little bit more... Um, Overviewish and a little bit more on the on the race department side of it and how they do their their processes and procedures um, at at the Moto America races, but I wanted this podcast to be something where I could sit down and and talk to some of these suspension uh, tuners and kind of go over the basics of suspension. And a funny thing happened; they all declined, and I thought, well, that's that's kind of weird. And then I got, I got thinking about it a little bit more and there goes, this actually goes and gets reconciled with my anxiety uh, with this podcast as well is because it is such a complex topic and just me doing this very basic podcast um, is, is a mere drop in the bucket of, of what this topic is about. And... <clears throat> The tendency when it gets into this topic is to start looking at these um, incremental uh, improvements or these incremental nuances of suspension rather than the fundamental parts of suspension. And that's really what we're going to focus on today with this podcast is getting very basic with it and very fundamental with it and starting to give you a vocabulary and starting to give you some basic understanding of what's going on and how you you can start your process of your journey into uh, suspension. Because again, this, this is such a tough, tough topic, right? It's everybody has these subjective measures and these subjective ideas like, oh, dude, you know, I only run that spring and it worked for me at this track with, you know, these tires and like, oh, well, it must be good for me too. And there's a whole fundamental 
um, there's a whole fundamental understanding we're bypassing uh, when we get to that. And trust me, I'm just as guilty of that as well. When I, I uh, take my notes for these podcasts and I you know, just keep scribbling stuff down as I get into it. This one, this podcast originally, the original sketch is over 50 pages long. And <clears throat> yeah, right now it's pared down to 25. So yes, this is going to be a, this is going to be a long one. I hope you have your, your notebook um, uh, in the ready. But even I'm a victim of that, where it's like when we spent a lot of time with oil levels the last few years on forks, we're like, oh man, I gotta write that down. I gotta tell everybody. And then it's like we got into some top out spring stuff. And it's like, oh man, I, I gotta tell everybody about top outs. I gotta, I, we gotta talk about this. And <clears throat> it's so easy to skip over some of the fundamental things of, of what's happening. And that's, again, that's the problem. So with this, with this, what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast is to give you some basic understanding of stock suspension, aftermarket suspension, um, some of the terms, um, how some of the setups work, and some basic things on how you can start your process of um, your suspension journey. Uh, so that's what we're going to get into. So. <clears throat> Before we get into that, I do want to, to bring my background into play here because I think it's really important uh, to qualify yourself for something like this. Why, why listen to me? Why, why does what I have to say have any merit? And as listeners of the podcast know, I got started in the sport very late um, and my my wanting to shortcut all of this and, and get in, in my learning my learning curve, right? I wanted to get all this going as, as quickly as possible. So when it came time for me to try to figure out suspension, and as I got quicker, I got quicker, then the bike started holding me back, and then I started talking to the, some suspension guy, and I had a suspension guy at the time. And whether he was not available or we were at a position where we needed to test stuff, then guess what? I'd go do it. So I, I've literally spent a couple of years, years, years dealing with this where I would take five springs, rear springs to the track, or I take fork springs, or I would try oil levels or ride heights, whatever. And I would just go try it and I would record my, my, my findings. And that led me to, to being able to, um, one, be a good, um, or at least proficient, um, bike tester and uh, also tire tester as well as suspension tester. So I've, I've done uh, R&D work for Orleans, um, Race Tech, Penske, and I think that's really important for you to understand as well as my journey in Moto America working with some incredible suspension technicians and crew chiefs. Because again, as I find the more I get into this, the less I know. And that's why we're going to start off with um, Suspension 101. So, all right, here we go. All right, Suspension 101. This, uh, well, I hope you brought your notebook. Um, there's gonna be a lot of information here. And my goal with this podcast is to educate people and hopefully put them in a position to where they can start their suspension uh, journey. Uh, it's an incredibly, incredibly complex topic um, in itself, let alone you bring in the subjective nature of it and then the objective nature of it. 
And again, that's what, that's what makes this topic so hard and so difficult and, so, and, and honestly so full of controversy. I'm going to say some things and, and uh, people are going to go, well, no, Ken is absolutely positively full of shit. That's not how it works. And, you know, this, this, the information that I'm giving you is based on my experiences of, of what I was able to accomplish and work with these people. So, yes, there's always going to be some outlier things that go along with this topic. And I, I get that. And again, that's, that's why it, it, makes it, it makes it very difficult. I can, and again, I, I can recall a conversation that I had with a crew chief that worked on one of the top factory teams and his two riders, or the riders um, that he was dealing with, um, had very similar lap times within a couple of tenths, but yet their suspension setup um, was fairly, each one of them was at the opposite end of the envelope. They're still in the envelope, but on the very opposite ends of it. So it's like, well, who's right? That's right. It's what that right, it takes that rider to have the confidence and everybody's a little bit different. So the idea with this is to give you some knowledge and to give you some direction for you being able to um, start your process with it. So, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, a little bit of vocabulary. Uh, we're going to get into some stock suspension, aftermarket suspension, a little bit of diagnosing, diagnosing what's going on with what your bike and how you can start to make some uh, informed decisions and working with a tuner. We're not going to get much into, say, electronic suspension, and we're not going to get much into tires. Um, <clears throat> looking at electronic suspension, a couple things. One, to be clear, I don't have a ton of um, experience with that. Yes, I've ridden electronic bikes, but I haven't um, gotten into um, the, the real deep dive on that yet. The process though for improving your electronic suspension settings is the same. Um, the, the way that you adjust them is different, but the process of it is, is the same in, in trying to figure it out. So we're gonna get into, uh, we'll get into that a little bit uh, as well, but again, breaking it down between the stock suspension, aftermarket suspension, um, some ways of diagnosing, how to work with a tuner, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, all right. <clears throat> the first thing we'll talk about is some vocabulary. And basically we're going to be focused on springs, um, spring preload, uh, and the, the hydraulics. So spring, when we look at springs, we've got your spring and your, your shock spring, your fork springs have a spring rate. In other words, they're, they're rated for a certain weight, meaning that the spring will compress a certain amount of, um, will compress a certain amount over a certain distance and they come up with a spring rate. And this can be all over the board depending on um, uh, what, the, what the valving is like, um, what the shock linkage is like, even you know, what, what, what the bike's characteristics are. But the rate of the spring is thinking about what the spring's job is. And the spring's job is to hold the bike up. And also what it does is it, um, it's, it's what allows the bike to move down in its travel. So how far down in its travel, that's what the spring does. So spring rate. 
And you'll see different, um, different manufacturers have different ways of doing it, um, whether it's in foot pounds or whether it's in newton meters. So it can be done, it can be done a little bit differently, but that's, that's our spring rate. Spring preload is one that we'll talk about a lot. And it is something that is, is definitely industry standard with spring preload. The one thing with spring preload that is important is spring preload, how much the spring is preloaded. So you'll have the free length of the spring. And then when the spring gets installed on the motorcycle, that's how much it's been preloaded, how much it's, it's been compressed. And this is a very, very important number. A lot of times on stock bikes, we don't know that number. Um, you could take your shock off or you could take um, the, the shock off or even on the front, you can count the turns of preload. Um, but it, it's a very important number that, that we use. Then we get into the hydraulics. Um, we've got rebound damping and compression damping. Rebound damping simply is controlling how fast the spring returns and compression damping is simply how fast the spring is being compressed. Um, pretty simple. Um, but the way to think of it is sp springs control how far the bike goes down and the valving controls the speed on which the spring goes down and comes back up. And then we also have oil level. Oil level on the fork uh, definitely um, um, contributes to how the fork operates and how the fork feels. And we'll get into that just a little bit. Um, of course, we're not going to get much into chassis geometry. We're not going to get much about uh, tires as well. This is just some of the basic things with, with suspension. So <clears throat> let's talk about stock suspension first. Stock suspension, its intent is to cover just a super wide variety of riders and elements from, um, you know, if you have a, a sport bike and it's still, there's still suspension parameters in there that allow it to go down the highway the best as possible or twisty roads or some racetrack. So it's really hard for them to cover each one of those things and optimize it for each one of those things. So yeah, it's a compromise. Same thing with even a hyper bike, like a, like a hyper naked bike or, um, you know, even, even some of the, the other, you know, the bikes that we're seeing, commuter bikes as well. It's a compromise of different riders, um, different weights, different riding styles, uh, all these different things. So it, it's a compromise. Um, stock springs aren't necessarily on the lighter side, but it's the relationship between the spring and the valving um, that sometimes makes it feel like it's too soft. And we'll get into that. Stock, stock damping, man, does it, uh, stock damping has got such a hard job. Um, again, it's trying to cover just this massive um, variety of things that are, that are going on. So yeah, stock suspension can work very well, um, but it is also limited and we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. So aftermarket suspension. Now we're getting much more specific in what the suspension is, is designed to do, which is a high performance environment. And whether it is a, a commuter bike or a um, hyper bike or a sport bike, they're, they're designing the suspension and the relationship between the spring um, and the valving and even ride heights, all based on more of a high performance environment. Um, this is where we starting, start to, to really get into the pairing 
of spring rates and hydraulics and they're just much more finely tuned to work uh, together for more force uh, or you know again track applications which is of course awesome um, but the devil is in the details a little bit and the base settings um, can still have a wide variety of um, have a wide variety so when when you get into purchasing aftermarket suspension this is why it's so so important to have a good trusted source that you're purchasing it from that has understanding so and again we'll we'll get into that uh, as well so aftermarket suspension awesome um, way more focused than stock um, but also can be um, also has a wide variety of um, wide variety of uh, riders that it's dealing with so okay <clears throat> got some general generalities out of the way and then now let's start breaking this down for what it looks like for track riding so we're gonna look at stock suspension on track riding we're gonna look at aftermarket suspension on track riding so stock suspension stock suspension on track yes it depends on the bike um, but it's better, it's better than you think. And um, I've had people say, oh my gosh, um, like uh, a Ninja 400, oh my gosh, a Ninja 400 stock, you can't ride it. It's absolutely positively unrideable. The bike, the bike, you can't ride it. Nope, can't ride it, which is, it's not correct. Um, Ninja 400, for example, is very limited on adjustments, but if you have a good riding technique you can go very very quickly on that bike and just using that ninja 400 as an example um, i believe on stock suspension you should be able to get within 10 seconds of the lap record for your bike with stock suspension of course with the setup in it and we've we've been more than able to accomplish that with even on the, the ninja 400s at a variety of tracks i've done it at uh, oh gosh, Laguna, The Ridge, um, Pittsburgh. Um, so a variety of tracks with, with literally just um, a sticky tire and uh, some, some rear spring preload. So, and actually there's some other stories with that that I think are, are relevant as well. Um, I did the same thing in an FC9. I took an FC9 bone stock, stock tires, and I rode it stock. I didn't want to adjust anything because I wanted to have an understanding of how it worked. I rode it stock. Um, and realized how quickly um, I was limited on that bike, the bike, the way the bike was acting. So we put a setup in it, which we'll talk about. And sure enough, um, even on stock tires, we got well within 10 seconds of the lap record for that bike. And we're, did we get to a point of where we, we, we were limited on suspension again? Yep. But we still got within that, that parameter uh, that I mentioned. Um, and then the last one, again, because I think it's worth mentioning, is even um, Road Racing World, um, as a test rider for them, um, for nearly 10 years, um, at all the tests that we did, we, we, <laughs> we more than got within that um, parameter. Um, on the 600s, we typically could get within two or three seconds of lap records um, on 600s with sticky tires. And on the thousands, typically within five seconds of the lap record uh, for those bikes. So yeah, stock suspension works well, but yes, it does It does need to set up. So, okay, great. You hear me blabbing about setup. So um, what is it 
And how do we know we start to get it at some of the limits of the stock suspension? So with stock suspension, what we look for, to first we look for is, is setting um, the SAG. So <clears throat> SAG determines how we end up setting the clickers. And we wanna have the springs in position to be able to hold the bike up. So defining SAG, SAG is how far the suspension sags under the bike's weight and also the weight of the rider on the bike. So you can imagine the bike being essentially lifted, on the, lifted off the ground. The suspension has no weight on it. And then when the bike gets settled onto the ground, then the difference between unloaded and loaded is our static sag, how much the bike is, is sagging under its own weight. And then if the rider were to get on the bike, then we would measure that number as well, which is the rider sag. Um, and that's how we determine how far um, the suspension is in its stroke, not moving. So <clears throat> with stock suspension, this is, this is where we're gonna get into some controversy. And um, so yeah, hang in there with that. With a stock motorcycle, I'll definitely check static sag. Um, static sag is again, how far the suspension is compressing under its own weight. And I'll try to set the static sag up so there's about um, five or 10 millimeters in the back, 25 to 35 in the front. We'll, we'll dive into those numbers a little bit more in, in a second. And some aspects of SAG are not necessarily a good reference for getting your bike to work properly. Let me say that again. Some aspects of SAG are not necessarily a good reference for getting your bike to work properly. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is, if you, for instance, we take a rear spring. If you set that, you set that spring up to have the appropriate rider sag, then it would be so far compressed that the spring would be essentially what we call topped out, meaning there's no free play at the top of the stroke. And that causes or can cause the bike to do a lot of really bizarre things. Um, and it affects the front of the bike more than it does the rear of the bike. It can affect the bike on initial throttle uh, for sure, um, but it affects the front of the motorcycle pretty dramatically. So we wanna set that up to where we have five to 10 millimeters of free sag in the back because that allows the front of the bike to have the best opportunity to work well. So if you're using this five or 10 millimeter number and the bike still has too much or too less rider sag, yeah, guess what? You got the wrong spring or, or the wrong spring for that particular setting. So, is it optimum? No, but can it be ridden very well? Yes, and unless you're this crazy outlier maybe with weight. So static sag is the number that we're going to use. So the reason, again, the reason that it's not a good point of reference is for one of the reasons I just mentioned. Same thing with the front of the bike. 
if you found that you needed crazy numbers and, and some forks have got crazy top out springs and all this nut stuff. So um, if you tried to set those numbers with rider sag, then you're gonna end up with a bike that is not optimum and starts to affect the rear of the bike. And this is why, this is why a zip tie on your fork or a zip tie on your shock is not, is not necessarily a good reference. A zip tie on the fork simply tells you where the fork was once per lap. That's it. So first of all, a lot of times you don't even know where the fork bottoms. You're not even sure unless you have experience with that particular fork. So you don't even know where the fork bottoms. It also doesn't take into effect oil level on the fork as well. So zip tie, yeah, it's a point of reference. It's not a great point of reference. Um, it can you know, it, it is, yeah, I get it. A shock, a zip tie on the shock, not a good point of reference. Your shock may have 60 millimeters of stroke, but, but the bump rubber, bump rubber starts at 40. So if you're trying to set it up there, that again, that does not work. So zip ties, I get it, I get it, but it's not necessarily a good reference for setting your bike up properly. So, all right. Um, all right, so then where do we wanna be? We started to talk about that a little bit. In the rear, free sag is about five to 10 millimeters. So that free slash static sag where the bike is unweighted and then under its own weight, the rear is about five or 10 millimeters. Front, about 25 to 35 millimeters. If you need to be tighter or looser than these to get the feeling that you want, I get it, right? There's a little bit of adjustment that goes along there. Um, if you're trying to do it off rider sag and you're not even, you're not even, you're, you're out of that number, then yeah, you've got the wrong, the wrong spring for the bike, right? The wrong spring for that particular um, shock setting or whatever, wherever the bike is, is at. Okay, <clears throat> aftermarket. With aftermarket, um, the spring and valving are just much more closely paired together um, than stock. And why mention that? Because you can have, um, for instance, I'm, I'm gonna make it up. Let's say you have a, um, uh, a, whatever, a 9.5 spring in the, in the back of this particular motorcycle. And you have a 9.5 spring on there and if the valve stack is not matched to the preload that you want to use, you're like, oh my gosh, the, um, uh, the, the, shock is, the shock just moves way too quickly. So I'll just keep adding preload on it to get rid, rid of that, that shock feeling of it. It just moves too fast. Well, and for whatever reason, your compression may be maxed out or, or whatever. Well, what we want is a, a hydraulic setting, a compression setting, a valve stack shed, setting, that is supposed to work with that one where it, the compression stack will slow down the top of the stroke so you can use the proper spring rate, use the proper preload, but then the, the shock stroke, the speed of the shock stroke is controlled by the hydraulics, not the spring. So that's why it's understanding that you might have a stock shock and you're like, oh, I need a stiffer spring. Well. 
if you get to an aftermarket shock, it actually might have that same lighter spring, but it's because the hydraulics are much more closer um, match to that. So that's why I mentioned that, is that these are much, they're designed to work much more closer together. So with aftermarket, all the manufacturers have different windows of operation. And we'll, we'll get into that as well. But the one number that is a consensus between all the manufacturers is, is installed preload um, on the shock spring. So all the manufacturers have where a range of where they want the installed, um, the installed spring length or installed spring preload to be. There's always a range. One of the manufacturers even has that five to 10 millimeters of, of free sag as well. So that's how it's checked. That's how, that's essentially how sag is checked. Other than, let me rephrase that. We don't check sag with aftermarket suspension. And we don't because of these reasons that I'm, I'm telling you is that there's a, there's, a oper, there's a window of operation where the spring is supposed to work and a window of operation where the valving is supposed to work. And if you're trying to set it by sag, you're potentially taking it out of that window of operation. So installed preload is, is what we're looking for um, with that. And we'll get into those numbers in, in, a, in a few minutes. So we're not checking sag on aftermarket. Instead, we're more concerned with installed preload um, and if you need to break it down or you need to get all concerned about it, then you can still look at static sag. So a <clears throat> couple of side notes here. Yeah, there are some outlier tracks or outlier riders that may be outside some of these um, parameters, but it's a, it's a rarity. And same thing with weight. And you could be either heavier or lighter. And this goes back to talking to your tuner and giving him that information so he can custom tailor what spring you need on the bike so it can operate in the proper range uh, as well as operate within the parameters of that, of that, um, that valve stack. So <clears throat> with aftermarket, and again, you need to check with your manufacturer to find out what their operating window is. I'm gonna give you for, for Olean's, um, typically, we look at 8 to 14 millimeters of installed preload. And if we find, so a sidebar here. The difference is, is at the sharp end, we're using data to determine where essentially what spring is supposed to be on the bike by looking at average travel. So we're going to be looking at average travel. And we, we can adjust preload to, to move that number around, but around the track, um, at speed, we're looking for the shock to be sitting in an average area. And we know that that's optimizing it for um, acceleration. We know that's optimizing it for being on the brakes, all these different things. So we can move that number around. And then when we start to get out of that eight to 14 millimeters, then we know it's time to make a spring change uh, as well. And if we find that we have a very low average um, on on average ride height, then and we're below, we start to get below that eight millimeters, then we know it's time for a lighter spring. Just as the opposite, if we have a really high average and we're closer to 14 millimeters, um, then we might go with a heavier spring. So a little bit different on that range, 
but on, on very sharp end, we're using data, but we're still using that window of operation for that. So we use typically like an eight to 14 millimeters of installed preload. And that, again, that's with Olean's. Check with some of your manufacturers to determine what they, what they recommend. So now we're getting into some of the hydraulics. And the hydraulics, we look at our, our adjusters, our clickers, as that is sort of the industry standard. So if your bike has adjustable hydraulics, awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. It means it's designed to be customized for you and your, your riding, right? Your confidence, where you want everything. Um, but let's also pause here and understand that the spring and hydraulics uh, have, to, have to work together. And when we get into that, um, same thing, there's some windows of operation and there's some big differences between stock and aftermarket. So, all right, um, let's talk about stock first. So, with stock, it's darn near impossible to know where that necessarily where that window of operation should be because of the wide range of adjustments that are available on that bike as well as these bikes the, the we're not typically taking apart stock suspension to figure out the, the operating window um, so it, it makes it a little bit more difficult with stock, but we'll talk about that in, in just a, a second about how we're, we're taking, we're, we're looking at that. And then with aftermarket, there's also ranges, um, windows of operation, which we'll get into as well. So with a stock bike, first thing that we're going to do is, um, we are going to set the suspension springs, we're gonna set the sag on the bikes because that determines what the hydraulics are, how the hydraulics are going to operate. And um, we, we need to set that first. And then with a stock bike, yes, I will, I will do this on a stock bike is I will push on the suspension on a stock bike. And it's mainly just to give me an idea of where the bike is at and what it feels like. Quite honestly, it's not super accurate, but at least it gives you some sort of reference of what it's like, or what the bike is doing, or what the suspension is at least like. So <clears throat> with the stock bike, again, we're gonna set the sags first, and then I'll push up and down just to get an idea if it's super fast or super slow. And typically a stock bike, the adjusters are very, very far out to give you that compliance to cruise down to uh, cruise down the freeway. And basically I'll turn the clickers in until I can start to feel some resistance. And uh, whether it's on rebound, I push the fork, push the fork down, watch how it rebounds. If it, if it comes back and rebounds and has to settle two or three times, then I know it's, it's very quick. And I'll add rebound until I push on the fork and it comes back up and it just barely settles. And I'll, there are times where I will do this and you'll screw the rebound in and it's all the way in and the fork is still too fast. So what do you do? Well, regardless of whether it's compression or rebound, I'm not gonna leave the compressor all the way closed off. It makes, it, it, 
might feel okay sitting there in the pits, but out on track, it makes that relationship between the, the needle and the seat just very, very small and the bike will become very, very harsh and slow reacting. So typically, if that's the case, I'll back it off either half a turn or two clicks. That's sort of the minimum I wanna be. And again, if that's not enough, then that's the way it is. That's just how it goes. Then I know that I need to make some sort of a, uh, another adjustment or it needs to be revalved or it's gonna be time to, to go aftermarket. Same thing on the compression, right? So as I push down on it, I wanna have some resistance. I wanna feel what it's doing. And you can add some compression until you feel that. Um, same thing, again, on the, on the rear of the bike, you can do the exact same thing. And once that happens, then I'm gonna go ride it and see how the bike feels. But again, I don't wanna to get to a position where the, the clicker is completely closed off. If it's completely closed off, then we know we've we've gone too far and that's pretty much the limits of of where where you're at so all right aftermarket as we've stated before we're, we're like in a completely different world where the spring the valving even geometry are just much more closely matched together and they are definitely designed to work in in certain windows so We'll get into the relationship between you and your tuner in a minute, but this is where you, we're having an understanding of where the window of operation is for your suspension brand is extremely important. And when you get your suspension, I'm, it's gonna come in a, in a certain range, and of course, writing that down and, and knowing, knowing what that is. So, <clears throat> I'll give you the Olin's for example, because that's this one I'm, I'm familiar with. For well, Olin's, again, we talk about the preload um, on the rear, preload for the rear about eight to 14 millimeters on the front. Um, we're using uh, turns of preload for the front springs, and typically it's around six to 14 uh, with the front. So eight to 14 in the rear, six to 14 in the front. If it's, for whatever reason, we're not using all the travel, um, or the rider's getting a feeling like the, for instance, the fork will compress, and we're getting under that six millimeter range, then we might look at a change. Just as where, if we start to get over 14, um, and they want more, then we'll look for a change. And again, there's some outliers to this, right? There are some tracks that, that either they're not hard breaking, um, uh, very flat, not hard braking, then there might be an adjustment for that or whatever it might be. So yes, there are some outliers. The other thing with that is oil level plays a big part of the springs that you're using. So oil level on the forks. Uh, again, get with your, get with your, um, uh, with your manufacturer, your brand, and understand oil levels in the forks. Some have one oil level that they're like, this is the oil level we use, great. Other manufacturers have different um, level, different standards for oil levels based on what the rider feels. Some have a very little oil, but run a heavier spring. Some have a higher oil, run a lighter spring. So find out this relationship. So this is what's, why it's so important. It's so important to say, well, I run 10 springs. And the other guy goes, well, I have the same bike, but I run 90 springs. And he goes, well, you can't ride that bike with 90 springs. 
he's got a different oil level. So this is why understanding this total picture, or if somebody's looking at your bike and he's going, dude, you gotta have one of those springs. You gotta have one of those springs. You can't ride it without one of those springs. Well, you're not looking at the whole picture. So this is why this is super, super important for you to understand where your window of operation is for these things. So getting into the hydraulics, for instance, with Olean's compression, um, compression uh, typically seven to 14, um, rebound 11 to 16, and that works both front and, and rear. The other thing is, is that there is, there is a ratio or a relationship between compression and rebound too. If they're, they're very skewed, then one does not work as well as it should. So um, if you start to see a wide range between compression and rebound, if they're, if they're at the very end of the envelopes, that's something to look at as, as, uh, as well. So <clears throat> somewhere in this range typically works really well um, and is, is just, you've got a lot of customization that goes along uh, with that. So, um, let's, let's talk about something that, um, again, is a little bit controversial. I'm never going to adjust my suspension if it's working well for tire wear. If, if the tire is not wearing correctly for whatever reason, it's the wrong tire. <laughs> It, you're, you're, you're adjusting suspension that works well for tire wear, I think is insane. You have the wrong tire. So that's the way it is. If you want to adjust your suspension and take it out of the optimum range to do your tire wear, to help your tire wear, dude, go for it, go for it. Just know that's not the right way to do it. The right thing to do is to get the right tire on the bike. And there's other factors as well. I've seen riders that are very aggressive with the throttle, um, screw up tires. I've also seen poor engine management issues cause the tires to be an issue. So I'm not gonna adjust my perfectly working suspension for tire wear. It means I have the wrong tire. So that's the way it is. So I'm, I'm steadfast, I am steadfast with that. So. All right, which leads me to, who are you getting your suspension and chassis information from? Are you getting it from Facebook, <laughs> forums, um, 10 different guys in the pits, or do you have a single trusted source? And this is where, when we get into you being able to adjust your bike here in a few minutes is, developing a relationship with your trusted source and sticking with them. So whoever that trusted source is, right? Whoever you pick, great, awesome. But create a relationship with them and stick with it. This is getting with your trusted source, letting them know your goals and creating a plan for it. Having your setup sheets available, so let's say you buy your suspension from somebody or have somebody set your bike up or whatever it might be, is it needs to have a setup sheet. A professional gives you a setup sheet of where your bike is. So if you're not getting a setup sheet, honestly, 
that's a red flag. You should know a professional is gonna give you a setup sheet. And that's something that you can, you can refer to and we'll get into that in just a second. So let your tuner know what your plan is, have your setup sheet and establish a communication process with them. That way when you make a change or he makes a change, you have recorded what you feel and what it, what it did and you just keep looping this process together. So let's, let's start to get into how, how you can um, start this, this yourself. So again, my story with this is um, I wanted to figure it out. I was at a point where the suspension that I was using wasn't working, right? I was kind of at the limits of that suspension. And I chose a suspension tuner and I, I so apologize. I had completely like exhausted his patience and, and uh, I was able to go to the track at the time quite a bit and figure things out or try to figure things out. So I had some opportunities to do it. And it starts with, I tried stuff. I'd go to the track with five different rear springs for the shock and I'd go try them. I'd go with different fork springs. I would try different oil levels. I'd try different ride heights. I'd try different tire pressures. And I would take copious notes of what was going on. And I'd go back to the, to the suspension guy and, and go over everything. And we might revalve a shock or we might do something with the forks. Or he might say, this is, you're sticking here, this is what we're using. And that would become, say, my baseline setup. So that's how I got into it. I spent years doing this, years. And yes, I was still doing some other things, but when I went to go test deliberately, um, I tested deliberately. So that was, that was my goal. And um, I think that this is, it's super important that um, you understand that is, if you're going to play around with suspension, great, do it deliberately. And so now your journey on trying things is it starts with a good writing technique. If, if you're not hitting your apexes and you're trying to change, say, fork springs, how do you know it's any good? How you're, you don't necessarily have a consistent point of reference. So it starts with good writing technique. Um, if your lap times are all over the place, yeah, that's, it, it, it's, you're trying some maybe incremental changes um, when you haven't even established some fundamentals of writing. So let's, let's start with making sure your writing technique is, is good. And then <clears throat> have a setup sheet. Regardless of whether your bike has been adjusted or not, write your settings down. So write your settings down for preload, um, your clickers and your ride heights. And on my um, website, I'll, if you go, there's a tab there for forms, click on that. I'll have a setup sheet that you can download and you can use that as a very standard setup sheet, very basic. Um, and I'll have some other stuff there for you to download as well. So write your setup down. So write it down. That way you're able to at least know where you started from because there's nothing worse than, than getting completely lost in this process, which is 
again, on a complex topic like this is very, very easy to do. Second, one of the other things we're looking at, not necessarily the second thing, is a process to ask the right questions with what your bike is doing at what time. So if you're working with a tuner and you say, dude, my bike runs wide. And if he says, and if he makes an adjustment because your bike runs wide, with that little information, that's insane, right? Because when does it run, run wide? Is run wide um, short radius corner, long radius corner, as you crack the throttle on, um, as you drive off the corner? There's a lot of different things that go along to that question. Or if you say, my front of the, the front of the bike bottoms. <laughs> well, great. Where does it bottom? There's tracks that we go to the fork will bottom once a lap. There's tracks we go to the fork bottoms eight times a lap. So uh, this information just, it needs to be much more pinpointed with what your bike is doing. Pause. At what time? So breaking down uh, essentially what your bike is doing in segments shortcuts your process with your with your tuner or even yourself. So I'm going to give you some examples. Fork. Um, how does the fork work in the initial part of the movement? So when you first go to the brakes, how does the fork move? Is it slow? Is it fast? Or does it feel good? Does it feel right? Um, how does it work at the bottom of the stroke? So as you're going into a hard braking corner straight up and down, how does the fork feel down there? Uh, is the bike moving around? Do you have confidence in it? Do you feel like you have more to pull against? Um, how is the bike on bump, bump absorption? Um, how's the bike on bump absorption with the brakes on? How's the bike on bump absorption with the throttle on? How's your confidence in the front tire, for instance? On the shock, how does it move initially when you crack the gas on? How does the shock feel um, on as you get towards the exit apex? Um, how does the bike hold its trajectory? Yeah, bump absorption, right? Mid-corner, how's the bike at brake release? How's the bike when you crack the throttle on? Does it hold its trajectory? Does it keep turning or does it run wide? So I could go on forever. I could go on forever with these things. But narrowing down what your bike is doing, oh my gosh, will it make your, your life and your tuner's job so much easier plus it helps you pinpoint a section so when you do make a change, you can tell what the change is, what the change is actually, um, if it's working, right? If, it's, if it is effective. So I will have a link um, again on my forms at KH Coaching um, and I'll have two different download sheets. One um, will be just a blank one with um, the different um, categories and the second one will actually have questions in it. So the question, some of the things I just asked you will be a sheet there that actually has some of these questions in there. And you can, you can start to ask your, yourself some of these things. So bringing this all back around, I, I hope what this, pod, what this podcast was trying to accomplish is to give you some some very basic fundamentals, suspension 101 of under, your understanding of suspension and bike setup. So understanding a little bit of vocabulary. 
differentiating between stock and aftermarket of capabilities in operating windows as well as how to yeah, adjust them. Um, knowing where your, your bike is at. So having your setup sheet and knowing where your bike is at and knowing that operating window for where your bike is at, right? For where your suspension is at, whatever brand that, that might be. And yes, I'll say it again, knowing what the operating window of your bike is, incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and another one is, is your bike holding you back? Is your bike holding you back? Go through the, the, go through the download sheet and see if any of those things are like, yeah, you know what? I didn't realize that the bike is holding me back here or it's doing this, or it might be, dude, this thing's great. I'm leaving it alone, which is awesome uh, if that's the case. Find your trusted source and develop a relationship with them. I cannot emphasize this enough. Um, make your intentions clear with what you're trying to accomplish um, and see how that relationship is going to work. And again, develop that communication process with them. Um, when you go and ride, Again, isolate what your bike is doing and write it down. So when you go and come in from a session, write this stuff down. If, if you think you're gonna make changes, if you, if you start off in the morning and it's 50 degrees out and you don't like the way your bike feels because it's set up for 75 degrees and you make all these changes and then it gets to be warm in the afternoon and you don't even know where you ended up, you didn't even sort of know where you started, yeah, good luck. So, <laughs> If you're gonna be adjusting stuff, write it down. Act like a crew chief and have a process. Write it a process of why you changed it, what you changed, and was it better or worse? So, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff on suspension. And uh, if this, if this has been good information from you, you can let me know, um, and we can continue getting, you know, breaking this down a little bit more. We can get into okay, um, uh, what does what does data look like on suspension? Um, I certainly can can get into that, or if people want to get into um, some different aspects of of suspension, I know I didn't touch touch much on the geometry side. Um, nor the tire side, or even, you know, we, we talked about some of the electronic suspension. The process for diagnosing the electronic suspension is identical. There's no difference. It's just the actual physical part of making the changes is, is done with your thumb <laughs> rather than wrenches. Um, so not much difference there, but as I get more to the electronic suspension, I'm sure that we'll have some more information on that. But the big thing with this is getting everybody to um, be able to start to understand this process and uh, get you on your journey for suspension. So, all right, thanks for, uh, yeah, long-winded, I know, but it had to be long-winded. I think this is the longest um, podcast I've done as far as me just sitting here blabbing. Uh, but it, it needed to happen. So, all right, there you go. Ken Hill Podcast, 2021, all rights reserved.